This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome. My name is Valerie Complex host of the scene to scene podcast at deadline i am an associate editor and film writer at the website and thank you for coming to another episode today we're going to be talking to tony award-winning actress sarah jones about her directorial debut film sell by date now sell by date is a hybrid doc narrative produced by three-time oscar-winning actress meryl streep and is also the product of Jones' recently launched Foment Productions, which is a social justice-focused entertainment company. Jones' brand of comedy consists of her multi-character, one-person shows, including Broadway hit Bridge and Tunnel, which was also produced by Mel Street, and Sell by Date, which also originally started on the theater stage. The story has seen various iterations over the past six years, first starting as Sarah's off-Broadway one-woman show, in 2016 then she remounted the show in los angeles in 2018 at the start of the pandemic lockdown in 2020 she brought some of her stage characters to life on social media for her ig live show yes i am sarah jones which was to ignite a conversation around the racial justice movement because of the george floyd murder that happened and the various protests that were taking place in the country and around the world as a mixed-race black woman in America, Sarah, alongside the multicultural characters she's known for, explores her own personal relationships to one of the most relevant issues in our current cultural climate, which is the sex industry and the surprisingly diverse range of people whose lives it touches. Through interviews and monologues, the film poses the question, how can we as a society have a healthy relationship to sex, power, race, and our economy without exploitation or stigma. Now take a listen to the episode as Jones talks about working with Meryl Streep, tackling the issues and portrayals of sex work in film and television, and she talks about the many, many characters that she brings to life on stage and screen. Now if you like what you hear, please like, review, and subscribe to Deadline Scene to Scene podcast on Apple and Spotify. And with that, let's get into it. Hello, Sarah. Thank you and welcome to Deadline Scene to Scene podcast. It's really good to have you. Thank you so much, Valerie, for having me. I'm happy to be here. Uh, so what was it like to have your film debut at um, South by Southwest? You know, it was such a vote of confidence. I mean, I'm a first time director. And so we got notified early on. It was kind of great, that feeling of like, yay, you know, we know like early before anybody else. And it was an opening night film. And that just felt like, you know, so supportive. So we were excited. We're grateful. And the most important thing is, you know, we got to feel how it is to talk about this topic that doesn't have to be so complex and taboo once you put it up on screen and, you know, engage the audience. And what was the reception like? 
You know, I was pleasantly surprised. I'll tell you one of the best aspects of it was we had people in the film attending. And, you know, I don't want to give away too much of the movie, but when people see it, it's one of those topics that like even people who agree on everything else can get a little itchy around like sex and power and money and, you know, women, how do we, you know, um, navigate all of that. And so there can be like really um, heightened conversations, let's just say, on, uh, you know, social media from people saying, well, sex work is, you know, not empowering. And then right. people were like, you don't have the right to say sex work isn't empowering. You don't know me. And it turns into this like, you know, real battle. Well, I got to watch people who would normally be on opposite sides of this conversation, get together, exchange phone numbers, laughing, talking together. I was like, you know what? If this is the only thing this film accomplishes, I will forever be grateful for it. I think it's really sensational and congratulations on the, all of that because I know it's a big deal. And the fact that, you know, after the pandemic, we all got to get together again in the movie theater. Right. And, and watch, a, you know, films together is a big accomplishment. Yes. So just yes. wanted to congratulate you on that. And, yes. and wearing our masks, I might add. I just want to throw that in there. We yeah, were we were, okay. Masks. Yes, we were all wearing our masks. <laughs> we didn't have a choice, which is a good thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and everybody was following protocol, yes. but we were still able to gather uh, at the movies. Yes. And you were, you know, the first to sort of be a part of that sort of reawakening. So um, congratulations on that. So how did, because, you know, I watched the film and I, I read, you know, some of the press notes, but I wanted to hear from you. How did, how did you sort of conceptualize this, this idea by putting, mixing comedy and sort of sex work and these ideals uh, into something that you wanted to sort of show uh, the world? Yeah, you know, for me, it was, I had to find a way to tell this story that didn't have people at each other's throats <laughs> and that didn't make people feel either depressed or marginalized or like they don't have any connection to this. It's like, this is, this is very relatable to like many more people than we think. Like, you know, one of the jokes in the play that inspired the movie is, you know, there's a little old lady character and she admits to, you know, going online and finding porn like anybody else. And it's like, the fact that we don't talk about how, you know, empowerment and feminism and sex and sexuality, all of those have to go hand in hand with a conversation about, you know, our economy and how we do, you know, people sell sex, people buy sex, people, like that's a part of our reality. And I think creating a movie that, talks about all of that, but is also PG-13. I was like, mm -hmm. I'm ready to try to wrap my mind around this and see if people, you know, we just did a screening last night in San Francisco, it was packed, it was sold out, it was so amazing. And people laughed their asses off. And I was like, oh my God, this is a comedy that also centers and prioritizes and really tries to honor the voices of, you know, people with lived experience and those of us who are close to this topic, which I think is everybody. I'm just curious to know your experience on going from stage to film and what that 
sort of transfer of skills and experiences was like? Because of course, stage and screen are two different mediums. And I'm just wondering how you sort of got adjusted to, all right, I'm going to direct not only, you know, being a part of it, but being behind the camera as well. You know, it's a very, two very different things. So I'm wondering if you noticed anything extraordinary or something that you learned, you know, what the differences are, the stark differences um, outside of, of course, one being stage and one being screen. Yeah, I mean, first of all, it was a group effort. You see me and my characters up there and, you know, the play was a one person show this movie is inspired by the play, but it's not an adaptation. And so for people who already know my characters and, you know, I play people from all different backgrounds. Hi, Valerie, how are you? This is Lorraine. I'm in the movie. <laughs> Sarah calls me a little old lady. Wait till she gets old. It doesn't just listen to, you know, speak for yourself. Anyway. <laughs> and then, as you know, hi, Valerie. I was also in the movie. My name is Nereda. Um, and, you know, especially as a Latinx woman, I wanted to make sure that my voice counts in this film and everything like that. <laughs> and hi, Valerie. I totally didn't want to, like, step on the woman color. Um, but my name is Bella. And as you know, like, we're all part of Sarah Jones's film. And yeah, it was good, Valerie. Not me. I'm bringing up the rear. Not me. My name is Rashid. <laughs> As the only dude in the film that Savage Jones put in there, you know, saying no pressure, not me. Anyway, so all of those voices, those are my characters, right? That's me. And I've had people, like when I do a podcast, they're like, who are all those people who were talking? I'm like, no, no, it's still me. But they're wow. <laughs> Thank you. But they're all alter egos. And the whole point was to get to do what I'm used to doing in the theater, but use the medium of film. And we had such a brilliant DP in Josh Weinstein. We had, you know, incredible collaborators, my producer, David Goldblum, who's helped me, you know, write the story. And like, really, we had to invent something because we don't call it a documentary straight ahead. And we don't call it a narrative. We ca I call it an unorthodox. It's a doc, but it definitely has this comedic, you know, we want people to learn something and, and kind of feel something while also having a good time. Wow. That was those, the voice changes. At first I was like, what's going on? Where'd she go? What's, what's <laughs> I, was like, like, I was like, should I? You're like, somebody's unmuted and it's not yeah. the <laughs> <laughs> I, um, that was brilliant, by the way. Um, you capture all of those perfectly, um, especially the accents that I recognize being a native New Yorker. Um, so you, you know, you talk about seeing these young women in jail for sex work crimes, prostitution, whatever. How did that impact you on a personal level? Yeah. Well, I, again, I don't want to give things away. I'm like, go see the movie. You'll learn oh. more. But I do want to say, you know, one of my goals with this film, and I had talked to everybody from, you know, there are folks in the film like Rosario Dawson or, you know, um, Ilana Glazer or my executive producer, Meryl Streep. Like these are all people I've been in conversation with. And also Brian Cranston, who's in the film, you know, it's whether it's your women or men, not to make it non-binary, um, but like this historic conversation, right? Around like who buys sex, who sells sex, all of that. I really wanted to make sure that we had a, 
just a unique conversation. And it really helped me to um, focus on telling the truth that my heart was broken when I saw these young girls, like we're not talking about, you know, choice and adults in, mm-hmm. in some moments in this film, we're talking about how young people are, mm-hmm. um, is, you know, in this moment where hopefully we're all still, you know, admitting that um, the conversation around Black Lives Matter, the conversation around women's rights and misogyny, misogynoir, these are all conversations that, you know, everybody's finally admitting need to be at the center of everything we're talking about. And we're also talking about the criminal justice situation, right? And policing and all of that. Well, this topic touches on everything. So in my mind, once people can get out of the taboo of it, if people just see the film, I feel like it is actually central to everything else, all the other values we're talking about right now and centering women and girls and you know all the people who care about them. Hello, if you were born onto this planet, you should care about women and girls, but also like you came through a woman's body, right? Not to quote mm. Tupac, but you know, the other reality that black women in particular, women of color in particular, trans women in particular, right? We're the ones who hopefully people are finally centering again. And so to me, it just felt essential to start with girls who are most vulnerable in our society. That brings me to my next question, which is what, like you had such great collaborators. What was it like to work with them. It seems it's, you know, it's, from what you're saying, it sounds like you have like glowing reviews, but I'm just curious to know how, you know, they sort of came onto the project or if they've been there from the beginning and what did they think of the material uh, at first? Cause I know that must've been nerve wracking me. Like, okay, so Meryl Streep is like <laughs> interested in like collaborating, you know? So I, I'm, I'm curious to, I, I just want to hear all about that. Yeah, you know, it's, I've been really fortunate along the way that I've always, you know, kind of come into contact with people. I mean, I've known uh, Meryl has been a mentor and supporter of mine for years and years. And so when this opportunity to make something I was really passionate about came up, um, she, as always, you know, I really appreciate having people who, um, I just really appreciate having people who use their privilege to help amplify the voices of people who have left less privilege, just to be frank about it. And she's one of those folks. And so whether it's her or, you know, some of the other folks who came on board along the way, we had great collaborators in one of my producers, Julie Parker Benello, co-founded Chicken and Egg Pictures, which is, you know, these are, we're all people who understand that for the most part, Hollywood is still very much, whether people think so or not, on their little message boards where you hear, you know, white male fragility and then being like, they coming for my job. And it's like, sweetie, right. you're still 99% of everything, give or take, if you're white. And then when you take white women out, you're still, you know, I don't know, 90% of everything. So the point being, um, it really helped to have people who understand that. Um, I mentioned Julie, also our editor, like it it sounds so, it it was just so fortunate to have this experience of people, you know, seeing our ideas, we would share what we wanted to do and the right people would just gravitate to it. And we happened to luck out and get this incredible editor who's actually one of the head editors on Ted Lasso, which is a show that Mm -hmm. I love that explodes, you know, a lot of gender norms and anyway, um, Melissa McCoy. So these are people who are willing to 
go on the adventure of making something that doesn't have a comp like that. Mm -hmm. People were like, well, what's the comp for this? And I'm like, well, it's, it's a comedy, but it's also, you know, serious. And we interview people and we really try to center the voices of the people and not objectify them. And, you know, we hope you'll feel something and feel connected. It's an unorthodox that, you know, we just had to keep telling that to people and seeing whether they got it. And those who did came on the ride with us. And it's, I'm so grateful. This issue of, of sex work has been really uh, interesting in that um, we have been sort of and my, me and my friends get together and we, we actually talk about it and what sex work looks like in film and television mm-hmm. and how it's being portrayed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have shows like Law and Order SVU who put a spotlight on sex work and crimes, uh, but maybe not in a way that sex workers appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering what you think of the state of the portrayal of sex work mm-hmm. in uh, TV and film and what that looks like. Y- yeah, I mean, you, you said it, right? Like, first of all, as women of color, and I don't know if you and your friends can relate to this, but like, I got stopped. We just, it's understood that that's part of like, you know, when I was first going out on acting gigs, it would be like, okay, there's hooker number one, you could be hooker number three, you could be in the, you know, it was sort of like, this is a world where I think women of color in particular are used to having um, that association with us, but without the self-determination, right, of people who are in the sex industry and want to have their voices and their stories portrayed from their perspective. That's not who's writing this stuff, right? Law and Order SVU is not written by, you know, um, right, right. people in the sex industry. So, the point of that is I feel like we are closer to this automatically because like I said, I've been stopped for solicitation wearing like the same outfit as the white chick standing next to me. But the assumption is that I'm more sexualized and I'm more likely to be, you know, if I'm in the fancy hotel lobby, I must be there to pick up a man for, you know, uh, commercial purposes. Right. So I, I raised that because that really, um, informed how I approached it. And yeah, I grew up on, you know, Pretty Woman and Julia Roberts and the thigh high boots and I wanted the boots, but that's, you know, not a realistic, like Richard Gere, like, you know, it's just sort of like, oh, what's the real way to, again, bring the storytelling power into the hands and, you know, behind the camera, in front of the camera, you know, we made sure we employed people who have lived experience. We made sure that we consulted and really gave deference to, you know, people who are the closest to this conversation. And for me, that's what the portrayals should be and almost never are. So if the majority of, you know, people in the industry um, who we're trying to talk about are not cis white men, why are the majority of the people who are the gatekeepers, the writers, the directors, all of it, you know, it's always from their perspective. So I wanted to shake that up. And I, I think it's really, I think it's really interesting. The more we're starting to see more content from people who were engaged in sex work. And I think that that's a great thing, but there needs to be more of it. Now, if there's not to say that 
sex work hasn't always been portrayed with honesty. You know, a few people here and there have done so. Uh, I really liked Sean Baker's Tangerine, for example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was uh, Julia Fox made a movie called uh, Private Chat, which I thought was pretty cool. Mm. You know, there's the uh, the sex work horror, uh, horror film called Cam. And, you know, people are, are trying to create things from their own experiences. Mm-hmm. But when it when you talk about like, oh, you know, hooker one, hooker two, and your body being sexualized, a lot of that, you know, definitely has to do with a lot of cinematic tropes that go on where Black women are considered these Jezebels, right? Mm-hmm. And she she's Black, so she must be selling something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and how that's like taken a toll on this, you know, film industry. And not just like here in America, but in France too. Like I've talked to a lot of French actresses who are black and who are like they they tend to get cast as hookers and and sex workers but not in any way that's meaningful right in a way that is degrading and stereotypical of what you would think right you know and there are a lot of you know black actresses from the 80s who talk about like you know all all of them have played hookers at some you know have played hookers or or sex workers at some point Mm -hmm. and I just think it's interesting how the sort of look the purview the gaze of sex work is starting to change and you know you being a part of that sort of legacy that's telling a different type of story about sex work and making it funny it doesn't always have to be serious Mm. and it also doesn't always have to be this like tragic thing because there Mm -hmm. are sex workers who are doing it because they want to you know it's so helpful to hear you because one of the one of my goals was to make sure you hear you know usually in my work like you heard earlier my characters come in and they you know even when I play the first person you hear talking is kind of this professor and she's very removed and she's you know sort of objective and I really wanted to instead of you know being behind a voice like that I really wanted to have the voices of real people mm-hmm. you know, so that people can meet the multi-dimensional you know self-determining women who have never been given their due. And I think, you know, whether you talk about someone like, there's a brilliant actress I remember named Hazel Goodman, who was, I remember it was a big thing because Woody Allen, you know, for the first time cast a black person and she was a, you know, um, woman in the sex industry. But it, it was, I just remember thinking, wow, here's this giant God of cinema, right? But as far as he's concerned, for the most part, if you watch, and he's brilliant, he, he was brilliant for all the reasons he was brilliant. He's incredibly problematic for all the reasons I believe he's very, very deeply problematic. But on this topic specifically, I remember thinking, wow, this is such a microcosm for this issue because here is, you know, kind of one of the biggest and most important voices in the entire medium and genre. And this is his perspective on black people in general a black woman in particular and you know who she must have to be to fit into his story so absolutely about the male gaze and especially the white male gaze because they're mostly the ones who you know have access to tell the rest of the world's story 
And I was, I did a lot of research on this because I, I had taught a class at the um, Seattle Film Festival that was about, you know, independent cinema and where that seems to be where black women are thriving, in my opinion, whether it be documentaries or, you know, films or comedies, the indie space seems to be where women, black women in particular are thriving because there is a variety of stories being told in that space. Mm. And I learned about, um, just this sort of Jezebel trope that I, I guess I hadn't been aware of. Mm-hmm. And, and now, sapphires as well, if you're familiar with, right? The Sapphire, Jezebel. Oh yeah, that's right. The Sapphire, the Jezebel, and you know, how those, how one sort of derived from the next. And now I can't watch certain movies from the past anymore without being like, wow, like I, I thought this was a win, but at the <laughs> time, but now it's like, was it really a win? Like, this is just perpetuating, perpetuating tropes. And so I, I don't know, what are your, what are your thoughts on that as far as like black women thriving in the indie space? Yeah. I mean, it's funny, right? Like if you think of Hollywood more broadly, it's all about types and, you know, the hero's journey and a certain kind of approach to storytelling that centers a certain person. And so just being women already, you know, you kind of have like two lanes, right? Like if, if, if men, AKA white men for the most part, only have a couple of roles that they get to play, right? They can be the leading man or they can be this, or they could be that, but that's the limiting way that Hollywood has framed human beings. Then you have, you know, basically white women who get to be their love object or whatever, or their mother object or something, but otherwise don't really have a self. Then, right. right? Like add intersectionality, add race, add being like, you know, black or Latinx or anything else. And then it's like, how the hell do we find any kind of lane? We, we're lucky if we get a little, you know, half a bike lane on this whole huge freeway right. of expression that is Hollywood and storytelling. So I feel like, yeah, indie, I mean, there's no way I get to tell the kinds of stories I want to tell from my perspective if, you know, a white guy who, you know, has the capacity and the green light um, authority to tell me what, like all my work in Hollywood has been in a development process where somebody comes in and says, hey, we really love what you do. And then slowly strips away every last bit of it. Um, And so this is the only way that I know how to tell stories for now. I hope that's changing. I'm really eager to work with people who, have you know more um, of a sense of the diversity and complexity of all of our voices, right? Um, but to be a black woman in this space, there's a handful of people who are getting through, but even they get through because you know some. Sorry to say, I, I know I bash them a lot. I was married to one, but these white men, <laughs> you know, they they come in and they decide <laughs> who they like and who they don't. And so until we can have our own independent avenues unless they like you and want to get behind everything you say, you have to go the indie route. Sarah, Sarah Jones, the talented (laughs) Sarah Jones, the many voices of Sarah Jones. Thank you. Thank you so much for your uh, candidness and your earnestness. Uh, And where, 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 where is buy sell date going? What what is what more is happening with that so that 
people can know to look out for it and what what does the future hold for you yes so here's my favorite thing about this film right now is that even literally like my own relatives are like where can I see buy sell day I'm like it's sell by date I love you cousin I love you auntie it's sell by date but it's yes it's sell by sell by date yeah so I know don't it's I I, it's actually good because then we get to reinforce it and be like it's sell by date like the milk carton like when the you know expiration date but um the question is uh um sell by date as an expiration date on exploitation in any form but that means you know how can we have the freedom to be all that we want to be whatever we choose to be right so there's no kind of that's the thing I want people to know this is a film that where everybody gets to come have a conversation instead of being told what to think but uh, if people will follow me on Instagram um yes I'm Sarah Jones and they can also follow the film sell by date doc on insta and on your favorite social media I don't, if you want to pick up the elon musk machine we're also on there as i'm calling twitter these days <laughs> um but yes that's where people can follow and here we're hoping for a wide release very soon talking to a bunch of folks about where this film wants to live so we're super excited for your audience to get to see it and is there any one person that you would like to sort of edify or one person that we should like learn and know more about that maybe that maybe doesn't have a platform that you'd like more people to know about? You know, I would say if I could, I would rattle off right now all the women in the film. I just want people to come see the film because they will really hear such a diverse range of opinions and experiences in this space. And if I lifted up any one, I feel like it wouldn't be fair to the rest, but I just really want people to follow um, the conversation um, that we have with Sell By Date. So if they go check that out, Sell By Date doc um, on socials, they'll be able to see some of the folks we have in the film and are so grateful um, to learn from. So, yeah. Thank you, Sarah Jones for coming to Deadline Scene to Scene podcast. Really enjoyed our conversation and looking to having more conversations with people about sell by date. Woohoo, I love it, Valerie. See, already the reinforcement is kicking up. I love it. I love it so much.